0: 365 episode 365 with dale motherfucking comstock american badass volume seven we took a detour last week and we went way out into the weeds with don the pleb and ted eye and had the dale comstock show and uh <laughs> <laughs> dale dale was just they were t- talking about facebook censorship i had on claire lopez a 20-year veteran of the cia and she came on and very matter of fact level-headed more level-headed than myself or anyone i've ever had on the podcast just very matter of fact, she was like, um, yeah, I, we know through like institutes of virology that there's gain of function research going on in Wuhan and that it's a bioweapon. I posted that on Facebook. Facebook removed it and said that we don't allow disinformation. And I was like, dude, Facebook, I, I'm going to trust the CIA officer. But concerning Facebook, uh, Dale was just telling me before it. He was like, "Yeah, man, uh, they're they're getting threats and shit." Ted, eye and you or, you, or no, not you. Or Ted, I's getting threats. But I was thinking for everyone that's watching, it kind of reminds me of Batman. And Dale, I don't know if you've seen this Batman, but in Batman, one of the employees, again, never did I think I'd be having a conversation about Batman with Dale Comstock. But one of the employees <laughs> is, is on to Bruce Wayne, and he goes up to the owner of the owner, the CEO of the business. He's like, hey, I think Bruce Wayne's Batman, and I'd like to, you know, I want $10 million a year to shut my mouth. And the guy goes, so let me get this straight. You want, you think that the CEO of this company is a billionaire who beats uh, enemies to a pulp with his bare fists, and you want to blackmail him. Good luck. And that's all I can think of is when, when you say that, like, you and Ted are getting threats, I'm like, who the fuck is trying to send death threats To like the reapers themselves, (laughs) and that's the only thing I can think of is like, who the like you guys are the ones that when people send out death threats, they then hire you guys to
1: carry out the death threats. (laughs) Who the fuck is? I
0: don't know, man.
1: Maybe I don't know. I don't don't get it either, man. You're right. So uh, you know, a lot of weird shits happening. Um, So I got banned on Facebook for 30 days for literally (laughs) stating I thought only Americans were that dumb. I thought only Americans were that dumb and I got banned for 30 days for hate speech. We live in a world of snowflakes, man. And, uh, you know, I don't know who these faceless fact checkers are, but I hope that one day, you know, laws are passed where Facebook can be sued Mm -hmm. and not only Facebook can be sued, but their fact checkers can be sued, right? I mean, let's go for all the pockets. If you're going to sit there and you're going to, if you're going to tell me, that as an American, I can't call myself dumb because that's hate speech. We got we got some serious issues, yeah. right? And the problem is, you know, it's, the, the reality of it is this, and I said it last week, and this is why people, some people don't like me, you know, and I don't really care. Um, when you start paying my bills, taking care of my family and feeding me, I might care about what you have to say, but in the meantime, you can go fuck off, man. Um, you know, and so then here's the deal, man, you know, you know, when you can't say what's on your mind, you can't have an opinion, all right? We're, there's no, you're no longer free. When people tell you what you can say, that what the, in essence, are essence, telling you is what you can think or not think. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to do. It's, it's control, mind control, mm-hmm. right? Manipulation. And, uh... So we had people on there, you know, come on and, you know, attack, you know, mainly Joe, um, you know, and I think it's a lot, has something to do with some other stuff too, but ultimately, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to report you to the FBI because, you know, whatever, for what? Right? For having an opinion? Um, and so, you know, we've gone off the rails, man, and I don't know what, the, we're never going to get back to where we need to be um, where we once were, man. It, so I, I read a quote one day, not too long ago, where it said, um, you can vote your way into socialism and communism, yeah. but you got to shoot your way out, right? Yeah. And it's pretty much pretty yeah. much where we're at, you know. And uh, and so here we are, you know. And so we're getting censored. You know, I've got, you know, I've got. Unfortunately, I have too many threats. Um, and the people that do threaten me, I know who they are. You know, they're in my peer group. You know, they're a bunch of weenies that are freaking jealous. And uh, you know, for some reason, they think I'm eating out of their rice bowl. I don't know, but uh, I don't. I really don't give a shit, man. You know, I do my thing, you do yours, and we're, you know, we can all just you know get along. But uh, um, yeah, I got I got I got slam dunk on, for thirty days off of Facebook for for saying I only thought Americans were that dumb. Like, huh? I'm an American, right? So it's kind of like I'm calling myself dumb, and that was labeled hate speech. Actually, I got banned four times in two months for all kinds of weirdness. One time, I got actually banned for uh, seven days. For stating that, uh, for writing a story about my dog dying, right? Um, Uh You know, you know, I I wrote, you know, and they they said that that could be harmful to other people. I'm like, what other people? Like snowflakes again? You know? So here we are. We live in a society with these people that are very thin-skinned, right? And and they and they bought into the propaganda, man. And uh, and this hasn't been. It wasn't this propaganda hasn't been something that was instilled in the last year. It's been going on for 30-something years, man. This has been a process. It starts with education, mm-hmm. you know, in the schools, right? We've, and they basically brainwashed the last couple of generations into believing all this crap. They rewrite history or, or basically erase history, erase anything that reminds us of history, um, and then and basically, uh, you know, go out and, and tell us how, you know, that you know, America was created on the backs of just the black man, you know, and, and all this stuff, man, that uh, makes absolutely is actually not true at all, man. But uh, you know, I'm not saying that you know, okay, we didn't have slaves and they didn't contribute something. Of course, it did, you know, in some way or another. But uh, that's not how this country was built. But we we be, we've, we fall into this into this trap, this propaganda trap. Not everybody. I haven't. Um, but most people have, you know, and you were talking earlier about the the virus. And so I just read again today where the Russians came out and go, Oh my God, we just discovered a new bird flu, right? Seven guys were, are infected at a bird farm, you know? And I'm like, you know what? Why don't that surprise me? Because when the COVID goes away, they'll find another one. This works, man. This shit works, right? And what, and I'm looking around, you know, even here where I live in Indonesia. You know, wherever I go, everybody's wearing a mask. I watched a woman wearing a mask in the woods the other day. I see people wearing masks in the car. And I'm like, they've been brainwashed, man. They believe they got to wear a mask, Mm -hmm. right? And so everybody becomes this nameless, faceless, Mm -hmm. anonymous person, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how we see each other, right? There was a time when I could go into the grocery store here and I could see everybody's smiley faces, you know, and I could, you know, we could connect, right, at some level. And now all I see is eyes. And I don't know if they're like hateful eyes yeah. or what kind of eyes yeah. are, right? And so and 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 what does that do? It it actually makes me less um, you know, less sociable, less likely to approach people, say hello, because we're all these like droids, man. Yes. And and this is all and people think all this bullshit conspiracy, you know theories and bullshit. Actually, they, people need to read some history books. Um, they need to read some real literature on sociology and psychology. And when you do, you'll figure out. no, this ain't no joke, man. This has serious implications down the road. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I'm you know I'm going off a little no, red no, here. No, no, uh, no. But it's, uh, about last week, but um, no, just that was some of the blowback we had. <laughs> no, no, it, it's fine. It's
0: absolutely true. I mean, just like I mean. Look, the Empire State Building is made out of tens of thousands of limestone blocks, all right? It's not just the Empire State Building, and if you talked about limestone blocks, you wouldn't hear a bunch of architects saying limestone blocks are just conspiracies. No, what you would want to do if you wanted to fuck up the Empire State... I guess wave to the FBI and the NSA. If you wanted to take down a skyscraper, you wouldn't go try to take it down with a plane like 9-11. You would go fuck with, like, the steel mill where the girders are made. So if you want to take down a nation or a global society... You're not gonna come out with the strong arm of of everyone shut up. You're gonna start at the base level. What do you do? You you make yeah, you base, know, you know, people can't hang out. Put a mask over their it, face. And when they do start talking online, censor them and ban them. That's how yeah. you destroy the whole thing is start with the with the bottom figures. But Exactly. We've beat Covid exactly. We've beat COVID to death with uh with last week. So <laughs> let's, do, let's dive back into American Badass. And for my buddy Joe Udell, who's been on this podcast before, and is a massive fan of Dale, so much so that before I had Dale on for the first time, I texted Joe. I was like, "Hey Joe, I'm having on a Delta Force member." This was like last March, and he goes, mm-hmm. he sends me a picture of you, and he goes, "If it's not Dale Comstock, I'm not watching." And I was like, well, <laughs> "I was like, well, funny thing is, is it is asshole." Point being is Dale or Joe asked me, "Um, when's Dale doing a mercenary episode?" And so I'm going to ask Dale now for everyone because no one believes me when I say I've talked to them. They're like, no, you're not. You're not telling us anything. So, Dale, when are we going to have a mercenary episode? Let the people hear All your right. words.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we've agreed to uh, look out the window because it's pouring rain again. So, oh, by the way, I mean, I'm calling you guys from Bali, Indonesia, man. And right now it's rainy season. And uh sure shit, I'm gonna have to ride home tonight on my motorcycle in the rain. So it's gonna be like riding a jet ski, man. <laughs> it's crazy how hard it rains here. But uh so we've we you know, we we talked about going through my chapters in my book, American Badass. So you're actually hearing it um, you know, from me, my you know, my voice telling the stories. I won't tell them the detail that's in the book, but I'll tell you my story, you know, uh mm-hmm. in the time that we have chapter by chapter. So my goal is to get through the whole book, and then I'm actually at the same time as we're you know right now I'm actually writing my second book now. I started out last year writing five books, and then I realized that I just probably bit off way more than I can chew just because I'm very busy, and so I decided to try to uh, condense everything together into one book. And I tentatively I'm going to call the book Apex Man. I know now that you know everybody's going to run out and go to copyright Apex Man. It's like this is my book, you know. That's okay. I got other. I got other names in mind too, right? But I got to call something for now. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, that book will have a lot of my life stories from post-2011, uh, right? After I kind of transitioned from my government work to the Hollywood stuff and back into the private sector security. And uh, But I also did got involved in a lot of other things to include mercenary work, bodyguard work, uh, you know, Investigations, if you will, and uh, you know, and I gotta watch how I couch this stuff because it could be taken the wrong way, but lack of a better term, human trafficking, but in a good way, right? Not not kids or women, but trying to save people's half, sure. right? And get, on, they yeah. get them out of a jam, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And so, um, yeah, um, I'm sure that somebody will go, I'm gonna call the FBI right now. He just said human trafficking, you know, right? whatever. Um, so <laughs> yeah. that, you know what's sad is that we live in a world now where everybody takes everything you say out of context, right? They twist it and turn it, you know, it's sad. We live in this crazy ass world with these crazy ass people. I I keep saying it all the time, the dumb masses, Mm -hmm. the dumb masses and the dumb asses. And that's about 95% of the population. Um, they, they will buy anything for a dollar, man. As long as they don't have to do the the due diligence, you know, and really analyze something like just give it to me and okay. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. Anyways. Um, So, yeah, my goal is down the road, um, once we're done here, is to hope I've got the book ready. And uh, actually, what I'm going to do on my book, by the way, is um, I think we mentioned this last week. Nobody reads books anymore, right? (laughs) If they can't listen to it or watch it on freaking Netflix, they're not interested. That's the that's that's sad, man. That's That's sad, right? So, yeah, yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, after I write it out, I'm going to create an audio book out of it. I'm going to make some hard copies of it. Yeah. Um, you know that way I have them for those that want them I can autograph them, send them whatever but they 'll be there but i'm not going to give my money to any publishers or Amazon or anybody else i'm just going to do it all my all myself but the, but the stories will be available right and uh, and then you and I will do this again where we go through that book and i 'll tell you the stories which will be I think will be a lot of fun um you know a lot of cool things have happened to me since i you know 2011. and um, and for anybody's listening out there I actually retired out of the Army in 2001, about six weeks before 9-11. And then um, I got basically recruited um, by the government, went back to work for the government, but not the U.S. Army, but I was doing the same thing I did in the Army, but for the government with, you know, less Americans, you know, maybe one or two around me and a lot of uh, Indians, you know, doing the same thing, probably actually more dangerous than I ever did in the military, man. No doubt about it. Um, And so... Um, and then 2011 is when I you know basically uh, you know walked away from that and uh, resigned I didn't get fired I didn't quit mm-hmm. I just resigned inside you yeah. know it's it's time for a change of life man I mean you know when you're at that time i was 40 what 47 48 you know and i realized it's time to probably hang the guns up a little bit and start doing some other stuff so
0: yeah you said you said um. that
1: in your book or i won't spoil yeah. it but
0: when you're in the humvee yeah and it dawned on you, yeah. you go hey you know it's kind of like the be wary of the old man in a profession where men die young you were like hey yeah in your mind you're like i I've made it this far. You're like, let's stop, <laughs> let's stop rolling the dice. I, I've, I've gone yeah. far. Let's stop rolling the dice. Like,
1: yeah. So let's use that to segue into, yes, the story's coming. Um, but to segue in now. So, um, when I wrote my book, all right, there's some acronyms that I use in there and I have to use those acronyms. Be, you know, <laughs> hopefully, you know, the readers are, you know, savvy enough to understand that, uh, you know, I'm bound by certain laws, non-disclosures, things like that. Um, so I have to watch how I say things, and then most, more importantly, I cannot talk about, you know, names, name people, name places, times, events. I have to, I have to, I have to couch it in a way that uh, you know nobody could use that, especially the bad guys against us, right? So um, and so, um, so that's what I do with this book. So I will tell you at this point if you're if you if you're paying close attention to the reading and and, uh and what i'm saying to you i retired of the army in 2001 all right prior to 9 11. um now all this other stuff happened after that right so oh who happened with and so again without coming out and saying exactly who would happen with i think you know most people could figure it out um i use the acronym aces right which stands for uh asymmetric clandestine elite services right (laughs) It's some bullshit, right? There's no, there's no, that actual acronym is something I created to basically, um, basically uh, define an organization I work for without actually calling out the organization, right? So, mining operations security. Um, Yes, I have a, you know, I have, I am trained as an OPSEC manager through the NSA. So, I understand, you know, OPSEC and I had quite a bit, uh, of counseling and coaching um, and legal advice concerning how I write my book. And so, you know, it's been out for a long time. I've never been challenged on it legally. So, you know, I think I did the right thing. My goal is not to glorify, you know, my experiences with certain organizations um, or people or anything like that, but just to tell uh, something about my life story, right? I have to count for some 10 years of my life. and, uh, And so that's what I'm doing. And so, all right, moving on. So, so I ended up in uh, we'll call it uh, you know Aces, right? We call it short for uh, asymmetrical Mexico Clandestine League Services. We'll call it Aces from here on out. So here I was uh, in Iraq um, with Aces, and and the so things got even more interesting. So I've been going back and forth in and out of Afghanistan, Iraq, um, you know, some of the hot spots around the world, working with one or two other uh, Americans you know, with my skill sets and uh, which was really kind of interesting because the work that we did was as dangerous, if not more dangerous than the time I was in, in the military, right? So, um, And why do I say that? Because when you're going out to hit a target and you got a couple of Americans with you and that is it and the rest are indigenous guys, You know, they're basically, it's you and them, and you don't have necessarily air support. You don't have a quick reaction force behind you waiting to to get you out of trouble like the big military. Um, You don't have that type of support. It's a game changer, right? And so that's where I was um, in this world. Now, um, I really enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the people I was around. Um, I felt like, you know, I was making a difference. And uh, and just the, you know, just the, the opportunity to leverage my skills that I have learned all these years and train, mentor, organize, lead, you know, people that came to barely speak English in the combat. And a lot of them couldn't speak English. I had to use a translator and take them on a combat operations doing, you know, some serious. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Checkpoints, Like, check, you know, Now we're talking about, you know, hitting targets, um, going after high-value targets, doing close-quarter battle, and, uh, you know, surgical strikes, basically, going after the big guys, the big, you know, on the deck. So that, to me, was very satisfying, especially when you can take, you know, a bunch of farmers and, you know, mechanics and goat herders, you know, and organize them put them in a uniform, on them, teach them how to use a weapon, teach them how to tactics, how to use tactics, how to communicate, um, how to plan, how to do medical, you know, uh, you know, you apply, you know, medical, their medical training that would give them um, all those things that any soldier would need to know training these guys that literally, like I just said, were farmers and, you know, goat herders, you know, out of the freaking hills and the deserts and you know, organizing them to go and hit you know, go head on with, you know, possibly former, you know, former military guys from the, you know, the Iraqis, the Afghanis and, and some of the other countries we went to and uh, go head to head with these guys and win. You know, that was really satisfying. Um, and more importantly for me was being able to help with the global war on terrorism and hope to and make a difference. Um and so I want to put something out there real quick. I just had a, a, a flash, a kind of a thought that came across my mind. So I real, I just noticed a couple days ago. So I'm on IMBD, right, which is the uh, mm-hmm. page for anyone's a Hollywood actor, or stunt guy, whatever, right? Been in any kind of productions, they have your profile and they list all the movie movies. Database. Yeah, right. So they list all the stuff you have. Well, I haven't been on there in like years, man. I looked on there and. You know all my everything's on there that I've done which is amazing that they actually went through and updated it right and kept it pretty current. But on the bottom was uh, a block that says trivia. And the trivia says, Did you know that after nine eleven, you know, you know, Del Comstock had already retired prior to nine eleven, um, and the special forces were offering you know, amputees and disabled veterans and retirees an opportunity to come back and fight the global war on terror because they needed their help. And Del Comstock refused, and because of that, um, he was barred. You know, he was he lost his security clearance. Now, let me tell you, that's a crock of horse shit. And I know who did that. I know who did that. And I'm just gonna say his first name is Michael. All right, he's a lump of shit. We've talked about this guy before um, because he actually stated it on another page. And I just thought, well, you know, whatever, he can say whatever he wants. But now I find out it's on the internet, right? Um, and so I've already contacted the IMBD to have it removed and flagged that, and uh, anybody that posts it will be called out on it. But so my point here where I'm trying to go with this is I spent the next nine and a half years um, after I left the army fighting the global war on terrorism, literally the first guy kicking in doors and shooting people in the face, okay? I never, never not wanted to go back and do my part. In fact, I was disappointed that it happened after I retired. And I actually had, had other irons in fire. I had a company, um, had a lot of stuff going on, and which would have meant if I, if I went back to the Army, I'd have had to lose everything, lots of money, put my family, you know, bankrupt us. Um, but I still did it. I managed to do it, in a, but in a different way. And I actually did it in a way that I felt like I was more effective. So you know, these. So this is where we're going with these stories here right now. So, um so my, you know, I want to talk about one of my rotations, right? And I won't go into the exact organization and location, but it was in, in, uh, in all outside of Baghdad. And um, this particular one, uh, if you look at the chapter, it's Sodder City. You know what happened in Sodder City? Well, Sodder City, man, was like. Um, you know, it was, you mentioned Batman earlier, right? Gotham City, man. This was like Gotham City, man. You just don't, you know, you go into Gotham City, you go into Sodder City, it ain't gonna be, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna be a good night for you, man, because, you know, Sodder City was locked down, um, by, you know, what's his name, Sodder, the, the, um, imam. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, they basically... I mean, this is like a, this is like a gang turf, man. You're not coming in there and, you know, unopposed, you're going to get hit. And, uh, and so people, there were a lot of targets in Sadr City and people used that as a haven to go to, to hide weapons, you know, to, 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 for security, right? The bad guys did. And uh, so going in there was always, you know, is a risky proposition, but we didn't, we didn't not go because we were scared. We knew we had to, but we also knew, man, this is one of the, the spookier places to go. And uh, so I'm going to tell this story about what happened one night. Um, we decided we needed to go in there. And so mosques were off limits, right? You know, you can't go into a mosque, you know, it's freaking, you know, sacrilegious and insulting, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the typical political bullshit, all right? Um, so... But we knew that they were hiding weapons and fighters in the mosque, right? And they knew, that ah, they can't come in here. We keep all our shit in here, right? They didn't play by the same damn rules, right? And so we knew that. And um, so one night we decided we know that there's one mosque that, you know, they're they're, they're holding up weapons, or, you know, all kinds of stuff's going on there. And uh, so we go in, and the plan is to go in and hit this mosque and then basically flex off this mosque, mosque, to a secondary target, a secondary objective inside our city. So when I hit one and it roll right to the other one, since we're already in the BI, let's go ahead and get it as much honey as we can. Yeah. Right. And so, um, <laughs> so I remember we went in and, and it's, it's the creepiest feeling. If you can just imagine, there's no lights. I like, got all these, you know, building, everything's just, you know, like, um, roll houses jammed together, different, you know, there's, i don't know why the middle east and the rest of the world but they're not very organized when it comes to laying out their city streets and their neighborhoods they just build shit everywhere i oh, would we'll just put something here and build a road around it you know yeah and the, you know it's, it's like, like really bizarre it's
0: like europe as opposed to like like plan. sorry like as opposed to plan like like new york where it's a grid yeah you see it in a lot of older
1: cities like europe where it's just yeah sprawling yeah yeah exactly right and so um but, you know, it, it was dark because, you know, there's not a lot of power there. And, uh, you know, it it was a war zone, man. A lot of broken shit laying everywhere, and, you know, a lot of rubble. Um, you know, people had, you know, were having a hard time because, you know, it was a war. So I remember we roll in and then um, it's pitch dark, you know, and it's spooky, man. It's quiet, you know. Um, just a You just had a very eerie feeling, which was not untypical It's very typical that's where it happens it doesn't matter if you're in afghanistan or iraq you go into these spooky towns man and it's spooky and so but you know everybody's watching you you know they're watching from the shadows it's like you know uh, you know they're there you bad. just can't always see them but not they're there right <laughs> and uh we went in i remember and uh, and a lot of times what they'll do or what they used to do is once you entered they basically seal the back door on the way in. Basically, they jam the roads up so you couldn't back, back out. And they set up roadblocks in front of you. So once you were in, you were contained. And then they start hitting you from the top, right? And the reason they hit you from the top is because most of the armored vehicles don't have a lot of armor on top. So they're soft skin on the top. So it's easier to, you know, to penetrate the roofs with RPGs and, and uh, you know just machine guns and stuff. So that's, their, that's typically what they do. And they also have, you know, a pretty good communication system where once you enter the neighborhood, you know, everybody knows you're there. Mm-hmm. They've already notified everybody that you know the Americans are here. And so I remember going in this particular night. Um, so far, we had been unopposed. We 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 dismounted our vehicles. We got off. We walked. Um, we deployed snipers on the rooftops and. uh and basically we were moving towards the objective area. Once we got to it, you know, we, we lined up, and then uh, we breached, right? So on the mosque, uh, that particular night, we didn't, we didn't actually blow the door. We kicked the door in, it was you know, it's a mosque, right, you know, I'd be a little suspicious if they reinforced the door, but, and we were prepared for that, we would have blown it if we had to, but uh, it's better just to kick the door in, not make a lot of noise, go in and do your business, and then, uh, know, whatever happens, happens. So we went in and we cleared this place and uh, had a dry hole. We'll call it dry hole. Nothing, nothing there. Right. Um, but we had good intel that said there was, it's very likely that they got counter intel said, Hey, (laughs) these guys are coming, cleaning the shit out. That's how it works over there. Right. Um, you can't trust anybody. And so, you know, we rolled, we, we rolled out and actually the army came in with, uh, you know, their tanks, the M1s and, and, uh, you know, we, they were standing outside of Sodder City initially. We kept them outside after we entered. And after we hit, we brought them in because we figured more than likely we we're going to make contact, you know, at that point once we're at the, with, at the mosque, we're coming off the mosque, and that's when we need the most help. And, um, and I remember then we had the helicopters coming in, flying around, and, and pulling uh, some air support for us. And then we decided to, you know, so nothing happened on that one. We flexed to the next target, we breached. Um and the story the building was a, I believe, four stories high. And well, here's what was really amazing, right? So my my Iraqis, you know, we train them in CQB perfectly, right? I mean, now there's different ways to do what we call a close quarter battle. And uh one of the techniques is called strong wall, where the guys are in the room and then they basically um you know line up on the length of one wall facing across the room with their weapons right so why that because one it's simple two um you don't have to worry so much about somebody running into the field of fire and getting shot by their own guys right kind of keeps everybody organized and safe you know and all the guns are raiding one direction shooting down in range into a room um there's other techniques that are a little bit more advanced and i've got many opinions on that as well um and so I'll, I'll share that another time but uh so but just the fact that these guys would go in and, and clear a room with strong it and then they had to reassemble and move it move into another room and do it again and again and again right so there was a formation and there was a standard operating procedure right and it was a process that that took took time if done properly right and i always i was always amazed at how when we actually breached the building within seconds it was clear i'm like what the hell man it's like it shouldn't happen that fast but what happened was these guys were like ants man like army ants overrunning a freaking another termite mound right as soon as they went through that room man they just i mean they were wide open man and um i remember this particular night they go in through the door and it couldn't have been 20 seconds later they're already on the fourth floor on the roof shooting people I'm like, how in the hell did they get up there that fast, right? So, you know, when we talk about close border, when we talk about tactical training and, you know, the guys are out there, they're military, some of you might appreciate this. Some of you might not like this, but here's the reality of it. You can train and do everything methodically and perfectly step-by-step, step, you know, and everything procedurally is done in a certain order a certain amount of time. But the reality is when you throw stress in there, um, especially when you're working with Indige, you know, it's like they don't. It's like they forgot everything you taught them. It's like what are they doing, man? Just you know, it's not it's not methodical anymore. Um, you know, they sacrificed you know security for speed, which is, sometimes you can do that, but it could be probably not a good idea. But um, so I, was, I remember we went in and uh, my team went in, and by the time I got through the door, I was like what these guys were already gone. In the next room, next room, next room, up the stairs. And I heard gunshots on the roof. And I'm like, holy shit, by the time I got up the stairs, you know, there's bodies laying everywhere. And uh, and I remember the, the guy that we wanted was dead laying on the roof. And he had about four, um, uh, at the time, uh, basically satellite phones on him, right? And so in all his pockets, he was wearing the white, uh, I can't remember what you call it now. But uh, anyways, it looked like the white bed sheet, right? So the gown. And uh, and he was wearing that and he was laying there and, and uh actually what happened was he was trying to get away and when we ran on the roof our snipers were on another roof waiting for him and uh and it, one of the guys plugged him through the actually shot him through his shoulder and uh it went through his shoulder and went into his uh his chest cavity and really the amazing thing is when i came across the guy um there was nobody there except him and you know and i look at him and i'm like is this guy asleep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he looked like he was laying down freaking like sleeping you know and uh but I saw the hole in his shoulder and I knew that, you know, he took it through and through from the snipers, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, but he had all the cell phones and stuff on him, which is really what we wanted because, you know, cell phones is, is gold, man. It's got all the Intel, you know, we can get off the phone numbers and off the cell phones. We, you know, we know the network, right. And it just continues to grow. Right. And so, um, you know, we got what we wanted. He was a bad guy. He'd done a lot of bad things and, um, you know but that night we you know we we dusted them so so then i remember you know we collected all our intel you know did what's called ssc and uh, basically when we, when we talk about ssc it's basically doing a search of the area of the yeah. room you know going through everything collecting any intelligence anything of any kind of uh value that uh, you think might you know might help with uh, further operations and uh, you inventory it all, you collect it all, right? You bag it, you know, and, and uh, you take it with you for analysis later on. And, uh, so, you know, so you gotta bear in mind when you do something like that, the longer you're on target doing that, the longer you're gonna be exposed yeah. to a counter assault, right, or an ambush. And uh, and we're talking Sodder City. So we know, you know, we, we just stirred the hornet's nest. And um, so, Finally, we got everything packed up. We're loading the vehicles. We're starting to leave Sodder City. And uh, we had certain routes that we're going to follow to get back. And we had a bird up in the air, right? Basically, uh, um, if you will, we'll call it surveillance reconnaissance aircraft, right? So it it always flew at night. Um, It could loiter for a long, long time. It had a lot of high-end optics on it, radio equipment, surveillance stuff. Sensors And uh, it was the eye in the sky, man. And I tell you what, man, that, that that aircraft saved probably a lot of lives out there. And it was nice to know he was out there watching um, because he was watching, right? And so I remember that we're in our vehicles. We're, we're heading back. And uh, we start to make a right turn. And we hear, well, first, before we get to make the right turn, we hear that there's like two guys on the road setting IED in for us. And I'm like, oh, crap, man, they're getting ready to freaking lay us, you know, hit us with a mine or something, right? So and then they blew themselves up, which was really funny, right? <laughs> so after the first report was, yeah, guys are placing IEDs, they're getting ready to blow you guys up, you know, and then, oh, never mind. They just, they just blew themselves up from <laughs> IED, right? Like, okay, cool, right? And then we go blow, blow them past those guys and we go down another road, make a right turn, and it's kind of like a dirt, a big, wide dirt road, man. Um, and it's a long road. And then at, there's an intersection and remember this is like probably two o'clock in the morning okay and uh there's no traffic out there nobody's supposed to be out there. there's a curfew right all this stuff and again the bird reports back goes look um there's a black mercedes it looks like a black mercedes a dark mercedes just put that's pretty good how good their optics were man pulls up on the on the intersection and it looks like they just placed an id and it just sped away like, ah oh, shit, here we go again. Sure enough, man. After about uh I don't know, I think uh, my vehicle, I believe was a third vehicle. As soon as the second vehicle rounded the corner and th- my vehicle's getting around, the ID goes off, right? So it's like a boom, big ass explosion. Uh, but no damage. Nothing, nobody got hurt, you know, it didn't didn't affect any of the vehicles. And we didn't slow down either. Talk about it. Uh, we just get on the gas, roll and keep rolling. So I think, um, I'm trying to remember how many vehicles we had in this formation. We probably had about a total of six to eight vehicles and uh, armored vehicles. And so it's, you know, it's wide open. Now we're hauling ass down the road. And if you can just imagine, so you're driving down this this dirt road. Okay, it's pretty clear and open, it's, it's a rack. And off to the right side, about 150 meters off the road, you had like nothing but apartment complexes, right? Um, and this went on for probably over half a mile these apartment complexes and when we made that turn the id went off it was like every window on every floor of those apartment complexes opened up on us with machine gun fire ak-47 rpgs um they were it was like we were running a gauntlet wide open and so you know the top gunners are just freaking going at it you know we're taking rounds coming back. And I remember sitting inside this armored vehicle going, I can't do a damn thing about it. I'm just sitting here <laughs> going along for the ride because it's an armored vehicle. What am I, I can't even get the window down, right? And uh, and so, you know, we, we run the gauntlet and we finally make it back that night. Um, but let me actually, so I left out an important part. So let me back all the way up to the beginning. When we first left our gate uh, from our base to go on this operation, so we 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 leave the gate. We roll down the road about 200 yards, and we notice there's a large group of men out there, and they're and they're having an altercation with the police. Okay, the Iraqi police, and uh, it's a big crowd, and we got to drive through it and get to the objective. And so I still remember. You know, it got pretty heated. We could see it getting pretty heated as we're driving through, but we're not going to stop. This is not our business. Yeah. This is the cops and these guys' business, right? So as we roll through, all of a sudden, um, one of the civilians takes a shot at a cop. As soon as he did that, it was all she wrote, Came because over. when guns are fired, man, our guys start opening up, you know? Secure our vehicles, man, and just short lay waste these dudes, man. Just all over the street, you know. Jesus. And uh, and we went on. That's when we went to Southern city that night, and then we come off, and we had the, you know, we had the IEDs, and and then uh, basically, uh, you know, getting hit by a linear ambush to our flank for probably a good half a mile, man. It was a running gunfight, but we got out and got back to the camp, and then uh, <clears throat> I remember. um, what we would do is we we pull all the SSC off and uh you know we we laid it out every night, you know and mm-hmm. organize it, take pictures, labeled it, you know, and then if there's anybody tied to it, you know we got it off this guy, you know his name was you know so everything was connected right for you know prosecution it yeah. um, was all a bunch of bullshit, but uh, um and then we would when then we would take this the the guys that we you know that survived this thing. Um, and then fly them to another area to a, a jail, right? Hold them, you know, and secure them there. Um, so was, that was, you know, my little experience in our uh, days. In day like
0: our days like that, days that maybe you yearn for, just like a tactical nuke. Where
1: you're like, why the fuck well, did we go do that? <laughs> just fucking. Well, actually, you know them. what? You do kind of you, you do actually look forward to it, right? We did them every night. Every night, we hit sometimes hit multiple targets a night. Um, we were like, um, I mean, it was crazy. Right. So I would sleep, you know, we didn't get done with our ops until about five o'clock in the morning with everything, right. SSC before the sun came up and then, uh, you know, high five, everybody go to bed and freaking sleep, you know, and then, um, wake up sometime in the afternoon. Usually I'd go work out for a while and get my shit together, take a shower, go eat some dinner. And then we had our op order in the afternoon. Um, the night's mission, right? So the operator would start. We do all the planning, rehearsals. Uh, we monitor uh, any surveillance that was out there, and uh, you know, basically developing the uh, the enemy situation, right? So uh, that's what you do, you know, even in the military operations order. So and then at some point we would go, okay, all right, you know, it's a go. Um, here's the time we're heading out the doors, you know, in the vehicles, and and we're on our way. So that literally went on every night, man every night you know for months at a time man, and uh it was cool you know because you look forward to that it's tiring and uh but uh it's also super risky right every if you're going to roll out the gate every night you always got to expect that somebody's going to be waiting for you one of these nights right out the door you're playing russian uh, roulette right yeah and, and so even that right required you know counter surveillance surveillance you know different uh different types of methodology, right? To protect us always, you know, um, you got to protect the force. And so sometimes you got to change times. Sometimes you're just kind of like, hey, we're not going out tonight, you know? Freaking just, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe we're going to go out another gate, you know, whatever, right? We're going to do something different, right? So, um, but it was always that way and it was that serious. Um, The bad guys weren't stupid, you know? And after a while, and they were watching us too, right? And uh, and they knew they knew who was putting the hurtin' on them the most, and they did everything they could. To, you know, in fact, every night when we came back, all right, rolled back into the compound. For sure, what you can expect is a mortar attack. It's coming. They, every night, we got a revenge mortar attack, right? So, you know, the mortars would land on us for a while, you know? It was like a payback for coming out and disrupting their night, right? So yeah. it was that it was that it's how it was you know um and that's what you could expect but um i actually enjoyed it you know all the way around i mean it was actually man i mean when i think back about it's like how cool is that man i mean you get to go out and do your job man you get to fight the war on terrorism you get to take it to the bad guys you get to go to the gym you get plenty of rest you eat pretty good you got good gear you're around good guys and you get to do it again and again and again and again, and again you know. What you train for. It's, it's, it's and
0: guys like you, like, for me, I look at it, of course, and that's why I'm like, just nuke it. I don't want to go there, right? I'm clearly choosing the life where I sit in a leather chair and do a podcast. But I mean, for guys like, like, you didn't go into this to, like, play it safe. Like, you didn't go into Delta Force or Ace OGA to just be like, let's play it safe. Like, I mean, guys like you, like, you're you're built differently. That's what you, you know, that's what you train for. Like, there's, of course you want to do that you know if it wasn't risky you probably wouldn't want to do it right
1: yeah yeah well and that's true you know uh, i was reading uh i think we talked about this before i I read something not too long ago where soldiers the studies are starting to show that maybe those that are soldiers have a certain type of dna uh, are genetically born to be soldiers more so than others um and i don't remember if we were talking about it or if i was talking to somebody else about it but uh you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, and I'm, you know, so I'm reflecting a little bit back on a lot of guys I know that were good soldiers, um, but suffered from PTSD. You know, and have a lot of issues. And then I think about other guys that don't have any issues, right, and see just as much, right. And and be honest with you, I feel like I'm one of those guys that I'm not affected by the war. Um, in fact and I'll just take this moment to talk about and kind of reflect a little bit about my experiences over there from a, you know, emotional side of me is for me, you know, going to combat and the risk of, you know, the risk of dying, you know, I accepted all of that. And I was, I was fine with that, man, because I'd made, you know, I resolved my own death at that point. I resolved my own death at a very early age, right? I knew that if I die, you know, certain things were gonna happen or not gonna happen and things were gonna be taken care of, but it is what it is. And um, I don't spend a lot of time reflecting on that, or at least I didn't back then. As I get older now, I I, I appreciate my life a lot more and I'm a lot more cautious. Why? Because I have a lot more invested um, in children family, you know, things like that. So for their sake, I need to be a little bit more, you know, a little bit more cautious. But, uh, but one of the things I remember for me personally that i had issues with coming back was not the horror of war not the fear of oh my god what if i get shot or get blown up actually none of that fazed me not even a little bit and i was never afraid of that right and now i have you know i tell people there you know there are two kinds of people you know actually there's three kinds of people there's people that are just scared cowards then there's the 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 brave and then there's the fearless right and Talking about the last two, what's the difference between a brave person and a fearless person? Um, the brave person is willing to do something in spite of their fear, right? They're willing to go ahead and, and face you know, face that fear, right? But a fearless person is too stupid to realize they might be in trouble, right? And they just throw all caution to wind. And that's us when we're teenage boys, right? We do stupid shit, like yeah. jumping off the roofs of the building, right? Evil could evil shit on our bicycles, you know? Something could get really hurt, but we do it, right? That's called fearlessness, and that's stupid, right? Uh, Especially when you're talking about as we get older and we talk about life or death. So um, it's not that I was fearless, um, and it's not that I was overly courageous either. It was just like I was very confident, and I think that needs to be pointed out, right? There's a big difference um, between courage and confidence, and and I had the confidence to know that I'm really good at what I do, and I'm really good at fighting with or without my weapons and i felt very confident that you know if all things are equal i'm gonna win Mm -hmm. you know and uh and even if things are unequal and the other guy's favor, i still have a pretty good chance of beating him and which well that story will come out when i talk about my mercenary work down the road right (laughs) so um because that's actually to me like the ufc of combat right what that when you go down range and your guns and your shit that you have is everything you got off the black market or you sewed yourself and your hooch. Um, you go fight with, and that's what the bad guy has. That's you know, and it becomes mano a mano skill set versus their skill set. That's you know, that's the that's, that's the that's ball. the difference. That's, yeah, exactly. That's the Olympics. It's, yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, so I'm very confident. I was always very confident, and I was also you know had resolved my own death, and I accepted. I accepted my fate if it was gonna be that, right? And uh, and so I didn't, wasn't um encumbered by fear. I never was encumbered by fear. I never like, oh my god, I hope we don't get blown up, you know, hope we don't get an ID, hope I don't get shot in the face, you know. None of that phased me, man. None of that because I was so confident that I could win. Yeah. It wasn't being because I was stupid, and it wasn't because I was fearless. It was just confidence, it's, right? There's yeah. a big difference, man.
0: It's yeah, it's you it's, know? it's knowing who yeah, it's it's Yeah, it's 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 like that saying like like you can only be brave in the presence of fear. Otherwise, it's not bravery. Bravery is going. This is terrifying. Grab your nuts, scope it out, take a take a a, a, take a what's it called like a scientific gamble, and be like, "Hey, let's go for it." Fearlessness is like, "I got this shit." You walk out and you you die.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So, um, anyways. My my, my issue is coming out of any of those wars. And by the way, for anybody who's listening out there, if you want to know more about me, go to go to episode one. That's where I talk about my background. But just real quickly, you know, as a Delta Force operator, as a Green Beret, I was an infantryman, paratrooper. You know, Long Range Scout in the 82nd Airborne Division. I worked for the government. Um, you know, for you know, as a paramilitary operative for them for nine and a half years. I worked as a mercenary. I've seen a lot of combat since 1983 to the present uh so about four years ago actually that was my last uh stand out the door but uh anyways uh where i was going with this is the the only issue i have with combat is not the not oh my god I almost died i was you know i don't have i don't stay awake at night i don't wake up with sweats and i'm not knocking anybody that does i really ain't i'm not man you know we're all a little bit different yeah and uh And me personally, my biggest, my biggest issues, and I'll be honest about it, I had to go see, I had to go see a therapist about it. There came a point where like, okay, I need a a little help, man, because my issue was seeing kids screaming and dying and women screaming and dying, right, because that actually i could relate to more so right beating men down and killing them that's easy man you know and uh they got into this normal they're what they're signing up for so no big deal right the women and kids were the innocent ones they got caught up in this crap you know and and when i heard these kids screaming and even these women screaming all i could think about was my kids and my wives right my oh my god man my sisters and my mom right and so you know those screams still, man. I still hear them, man. Um, there are times where we've had to go through the doors, going after their old man. You know, brothers and nephews, and everybody's having a freaking meeting. You know, and gonna have to go in there, and we could probably let the air out of them. You know, and and the women and kids are freaking out. You know, those are the kind of things that you know you yeah. think about because you directly, I personally directly relate to them because of my own kids. You know, and. Uh, there's a story I'll share with you guys later on in another episode where, you know, I actually had to pick a kid up off the street and I'm carrying him my arms right during an assault. And I'm like, you know, all I could think of was my oh, my boy, you know, and, and trying to calm him down with my other my weapon in my other hand as I'm doing all this. But um, so that's where, you know, my issues came in and, and the other issues, um, believe it or not, uh, death and peacetime I've had to deal with. Um, you know, and that's another story. I think I opened up with that in the beginning with uh, Mike Donatelli dying in my arms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, those are the kind of things, man, that uh, for me, you know, they they weigh kind of heavily or did, you know. And it's not that I don't think about them anymore. It's not that they don't bother me. But uh, you have to figure out how to resolve all that if you want to go on with your life. And uh, so moving on, my you know.
0: I, I was, I was going to say. I mean, not at all, not that it's at all the same, but I mean, uh, I mean, sometimes seeing a therapist is the only thing you can do. I mean, it's not like I, I've I haven't had a tough life, but I mean, it is after my brother committed suicide. went about two years before I was finally like, I can't do this on my own. I was like, I got to talk to somebody. There's some things that it's just, and I think there's a I think there's a stigma, and I know from at least there is for me is before i never wanted to because i saw it as weak i was like you go to a doctor when you're sick and i was like i don't want to i can handle this but there's a stigma where people don't want to talk about the fact you know i I gotta go talk to someone but i mean dude if your arm's broken no one goes hey look at that pussy he's going to the doctor to get a cast most of the time people (laughs) they won't say that they'll be like get in my car i'm gonna drive you to the doctor so with with psychiatry i mean well, I, the reason I bring it up because you said, "Believe it or not," I had to go see a therapist. I, I just I don't think you should even have to say, "Believe it or not." Like it's, it's. I think that shows you're human. And, and a second note, real quick, is Andy Stumpf, who was in a Dev Group, Seal Team Six. I saw he talked. He was on Rogan a couple times, but I, I remember hey. this one line he said several years ago. And he, what you said, he was like, "I don't." He's like, "I don't miss sleep at night." He's like, "I don't dwell on this shit." I don't anybody. What he said is but i don't knock those guys that do and he's like the difference and he talked about he's like with tier one he's like like we're the apex we're predators we go out and we target guys in the middle of the night you know at the most inopportune time we don't play fair we come in with overwhelming force and we smoke them and then we leave and we make sure no one can sleep he's like that's a lot different than if you're an enlisted man and you're just going out on a patrol every day and you're just waiting for that ied to go off and he's like that is what yeah. drives men crazy and that's what really <clears throat> ptsd he was like i would rather go be in delta or dev than go be an enlisted man he was like that would give anyone ptsd it's just sure. the of things
1: yeah absolutely man i yeah. agree 100 percent with that you know and uh but um yeah sorry you know so yeah, no, you know, and, you know, those are, you know, those are all things that, uh, you know, you got to go deal with them sometimes. And uh, and sometimes you just need uh, confirmation that you're thinking the right way that, you're, you know, you're because ultimately your healing starts from within, man. Nobody can talk you into healing. Right. Yeah. And, and really, when you go see a, a therapist he just becomes a sounding board, yeah. right? You t- you tell him what's going on, you know, and he's like, "Yep, tell me more," right? <laughs> and You're kind of having this cathartic moment, right, where you get it all out, and you do a little bit of analysis, you know, and uh, you know a little introspection, and you kind of sort things out, and hopefully you walk away from it going, "Okay, you know, I think I got it. I think I got it fixed," right, yeah. and uh, or at least enough where I can I can live with it, you know, and so and I've, I've never had a problem living with any of that um unfortunately i just wish that uh some things could have been a little bit different but uh you know everything you know i think sometimes you know it is what it is you know i'm kind of an existentialist it happens whatever happens happens yeah. but uh um you know life goes on but uh anyways moving on a little bit uh Hey Dale, so I was keep, go into this. Dale,
0: keep talking. Yeah. I gotta go piss real quick. Keep talking.
1: I can't. Every time we talk, you gotta go to piss. <laughs> fuck you. It's because it's <laughs> fuck you, Dale. You need to get one of those those tubes, man, like you know those car do. drivers have. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> With a hose that goes all the way to your toilet, man. <laughs> so um, anyways, uh so moving on, uh, my next uh one of my other stints was in uh Tikrit, right? Which some of you may know was the home for Saddam Hussein, right? That's pretty much his hometown. And uh, Tikrit was, uh, again, they were not very receptive to having us there. And again, it was one of those, you know, it was one of those places you didn't want to travel freely and uh, you always had to be, you had to be guarded, man. Um, Bad place. So I spent some time there and kind of funny because the area that I was in, They were all government buildings. Uh, When I say government, government quarters, right? They were very nice, high-end. I can't even call them homes. They were mansions, literally mansions for all the the generals and high-ranking officers. And and, and, I mean, they lived like kings. They lived really, really, really well. And, uh, you know, we just basically occupied all these homes and uh, used them as our areas for staging operations out of but, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time every night, getting, you know, getting um, mortared. You know, there was always a gunfight around the perimeter outside the gate, you know, on the street. And, uh, you know, a lot of, I mean, it was just amazing. Every night you could hear it going on. Even during the daytime, you'd go up on the roof and watch a gunfight between the Americans, you know, our guys up front and uh, and the bad guys. And uh, I've watched a lot of bad things happen there as well, right, to Americans. Um, you know, some things I look back, and like, man, that just... That just sucks that guy never saw that coming and he just got vaporized by an rpg you know and these are americans but uh so when they um my is it was an interesting place for a lot of reasons we did a lot we hit a lot of targets in around that area looking for saddam hussein um little did we know he wasn't far outside of tukri underground um as you most of you know how the story goes he was actually hiding underground and we actually had sources that would come in that uh would tell us yeah they just saw him in a pickup truck you know at a gas station you know and we we thought yeah bullshit they're just trying to collect some money right because if you give us good intel we're going to pay you right they come back but actually this one guy was like dead on man and uh what we couldn't understand was at the time there was a bounty for 25 million dollar bounty out for Saddam hussein's head 25 million dollars and and people actually knew where this guy was. They had actually seen him, but they didn't report him. We're like, what is going on here, man? I mean, 20, people were more interested in protecting Saddam Hussein than collecting $25 million, which is like mind-boggling that they did that. But um, this was in and around Tikrit. But they were very loyal to this guy, right? And just kind of share some experiences. Um, so before I go into some of things that happened to me in Tikrit, an opportunity to go to like Baghdad, for example, and look at some of these. Uh, you know, you he heard all the stories about his his sons. You know, Uday, Kuse, You know, and and the sex palaces and stuff. We were literally um, they had a, they literally had a palace downtown Baghdad that was you know basically their Playboy you know estate for those guys and what they would do, they swimming pools, you know, sex dungeons and rooms and all kinds of crap, you know, and. And these guys would go out, well, they would send their soldiers out, right, to go collect up the prettiest girls they could find on the street. And it didn't matter if you were married or not. If you're hot, you're going, you're going to party, right? And so that was the kind of shit that was going on. They would roll these girls up, women up, against their will. they take them to this palace. And of course, you know, and I've seen the rooms. I went through them, you know, they had everything there, you know. They had the chains and the whips and the bullshit, you know, and, and, uh. You know, they they drugged the girls, they got them drunk, you know, they threatened and intimidated them, but basically they raped the shit out of a lot of women over there. And uh, and when they got done with them, they kicked them out the door, you know, until the next party and somebody else was going to be it. And so I had an opportunity to see all that. And I realized then, I said, man, I don't give a freak what anybody says about, you know, we're only over there because of the oil, which by the way was bullshit because in the last four years while Trump was in office, We've been oil independent. We haven't relied on no, we don't need nobody's oil, right? So that's, you know, we're we're not dependent on anybody else's oil. And if we were, it's because all of you other people out there that don't want us building our oil, you sent us there. So you take your responsibility for that, right? Yeah. So anyways, so it wasn't about the oil. Um, I really don't believe it was about the oil. And so what I saw was this. I saw a real humanitarian crisis. I saw people getting killed, getting abused, by people in power, okay? Getting taken advantage of. Um, I saw, we had a guy come in, he was a source and uh, he was a farmer and he was crying, right? He, he came to us because we're trying to collect information. He thought he might have some valuable information and uh, he told us a story. And as a farmer, his land uh, was connected to uh, one of the brothers. I can't remember if it was Ude or Kuse, one of the two brothers. Of uh, sons of uh Saddam Hussein and his cows had traveled over to the other, you know, one of the Hussein's property and he went to go get it. And he was run off. He's like, Hey, but those are my cows, and they're like, No, get the get out of here. There are cows now, goes, but those are my cows now. There are, there are cows now, right? So this happened, and then basically, what the next step was, they're like, Okay, you want to argue with us? Let's see whose cows these are, and they literally. Raped and killed this guy's whole family, wife and kids, and everybody in front of him. And go, whose cows are they? (laughs) Right? It's like, fuck, you could just have the cows, man. You know, I mean he wrecked his life, man. That's the kind of shit that we that was going on over there, right? And so I don't want to hear this crap about oil. I don't want to hear nothing from these couch potatoes. All right. The the passing all this judgment that sat on her ass on a couch, okay? I was there, I saw it, I know what happened. Okay. And so Um, I I can go on all day long with the stories, man. I saw what happened to women and kids over there. Right? Not by Americans' hands, but by the Iraqis and the Iranians, for that matter. Oh, yeah, the Iranians were there. Okay, don't let anybody tell you they're not there. They were there, okay? Which I don't understand that either. Why we tolerated their bullshit, but we did. In fact, the Iranians killed a lot of Americans. They sure as hell did. Um, again, nobody wants to talk about that, but, uh, who do you think sent their snipers over and who built all those IEDs, built them into the walls and the buildings to kill Americans? Yeah, it wasn't the Iraqis, it was Iranians. Okay. But, um, anyway, so, you know, I saw firsthand what these assholes did to their people and the way they treat them. And I realized, you know, one day it's like, you know what? The hell with all all the reasons. I just I got one good reason, it's to help these people. Yeah. Because I can just imagine that happening to our country. And it might happen someday. All right. We're we're well on that on that on that road, man. Um, and everybody that said, oh, that'll never happen. The, the hell it won't, man. Okay. Iraq, they didn't think that was gonna happen to them. And here we are, right? So, anyways, um so going back to Tikrit, I remember so what um a lot of funny shenanigans there, but one day. It was actually me. Um, we were located with another special mission, you know. Let me just put it that way. And there was four of us from the same uh, ACES organization. And one guy was an officer, and the two guys were his security. And it was me um, as a paramilitary um, operating for them. So we had, we had our own vehicles. We had, in fact, uh, we had two... Up armored Hilux pickup trucks, and we had a Mercedes G5. And one of the the uh, one of the up armored Toyota Hilux, um, not Hilux. I'm sorry, um, Land uh, Land Cruisers. The alternator went out, right? So we really only had one Land Cruiser. We had, a, I'm sorry, let me back up. We had thin skin Land Cruiser and up armored. The up armored one lost its um, alternator, so all we had now was the thin skin and the G5, which was up armored. So, which was not a big deal, but you know, I don't know what. So the decision was made one day to go down to um, about a four-hour drive south of Tikrit towards Baghdad, and there was another base there, and they had an up-armored Land Cruiser that had been destroyed, but the alternator was still good. Oh, the starter was good. Alternator. I'm sorry, the alternator. Um, I called the old golden alternator. And so the decision was made to drive down there and go recover that and install it back into our, our our Land Cruiser and replace it right and get it up and running. So I kind of questioned that. I thought, well, why are we going all the way down there for damn all that? We're going to run the gauntlet right for at least four hours to pick up the golden alternator, right? And for all I know, man, my the, the boss, right? He maybe had his own little agenda that mm-hmm. he didn't want us to know about, right? The two security guys. Their job was just shut the fuck up and secure him. Um, And then my job was to provide all the the tactical oversight, you know, and all the stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And we had one more guy who's an American interpreter, um, which you don't see too often, but he was American. And uh, his name was Dave. And a pretty good guy. And he always rode behind me in my car in my vehicle behind me right in in my vehicle so this particular day the five of us decide we're going to go down there and we're going to go pick up this golden alternator right we're going to we're going to make the drive so all we have is one armored g5 mercedes and a thin skin dale
0: dale i think we lost dale is my wi-fi on the fuck. I think Dale let me text Dale sorry for everybody listening um, this happened the last time we did an American Badass episode well we lost Dale I'll text him right now if everybody's listening now it's just is this my internet or his what the fuck is going on Let's see, let's connect to, gonna have to connect to my special Wi-Fi. Dale? Dale? Can you hear me? Yeah, I think that was me. I don't think that was you, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no worries, so- uh...
0: We're good, sorry, so yeah
1: so i'll pick it up from right there so anyways um the five of us drive down and and it's about a four to five hour drive it's a long gonna be a long ride and uh and off we go so we've got me and and the uh and i the guy with me was we call him jimmy right he was uh he was right next to me and then we had the two security guys and the american interpreter in the lead vehicle uh-huh. and so we, we're, we're cruising down actually the area we're going to is uh you know sinai balad iraq and we were cruising along and the first village we came in, we probably about an hour into the drive or so. Um, I noticed that there was a lot of people coming out as we're cruising through the township, and and then all of a sudden one of the guys comes out and opens up on us with uh, you know, weapons start opening up fire. And uh, what was really bizarre, and I, I talk about this all the time, you know, about when I talk about firearms and, and ballistic wounding factors and things like that. But I actually had a bullet bounce off the glass of my thin-skinned vehicle, literally at my head level, my window, it, it hit it in a ricochet and bounced off the glass. It didn't actually penetrate, which was really bizarre because um, it, when it made contact, it almost sounded like a tuning fork went off in my ear. And I couldn't hear anything for about three hours, man. It was just, just a constant ringing sound. So that was our first ambush on the way down. We all asked that I got out of there and then uh, we made it to Objective. We linked up with the uh, the uh, the boss at the other site, and uh, you know we had our tea. We you know we we talked about you know what's going on in the world, and then uh, we got our alternator. We loaded it up, and we headed back. And then on the way back, um, this is where things got a little crazy, man. So, of all the firefights I've ever been in, I've never been scared. I've never been scared. I don't care if I've been ambushed. I've never been scared. It's like it's the weirdest damn thing, right? And so again, maybe it's just because I'm too confident. Maybe I'm just too damn dumb. I don't know. But uh <laughs> I don't know. But I've never been I've been never been scared. However, coming back, we're cruising along the Tigris River, right? And if you can just imagine on both sides of the road. You have all these date palm trees, right? Actually it was very nice, very picturesque, right? A lot of palm trees, kind of a jungly. Kind of reminded me like out of a cartoon, like out of Flintstone or something, man. All the, the palm trees in the river and, and there's one little, you know, um asphalt road, you know, and, and there was a lot of people out there, you know, uh, you know, farming their fields, you know, and uh a lot of agriculture going on. And this like road was kinda like winding through the, you know, the the area there and then uh I remember we made this hard, like, left turn, and then we got on a straightaway, and then we had a right turn coming up, and it was kind of starting to open up a little bit. And there was a car out in front of us just driving along. And so the G5 was in front of us, and he as soon as he got behind the other car, he gunned and got around me, took off, and then I was waiting for my opportunity to get around him and, and do the same. And so I had a five-speed manual transmission with a 305 V8 in this particular uh, you to land cruiser so it had some balls to it man it was thin skin too and so i get behind the car and I, i'm get waiting for my chance and i drop it in third gear get on the gas i'm passing the car and just as my rear right quarter panel um passed the other car's front left quarter panel it was like all hell broke loose man i mean all hell broke loose and i'm on the gas i'm probably already doing 45 50 miles an hour in third gear maybe more and uh the window started blowing out um you know, it, it just the sound was deafening, right? And I, my first thought was, I knew we would make contact, um, but I thought that the guy in the car was the one that opened up on us, right? That's all I could, because where we're at, I couldn't see anything on on the roads because it was kind of opening up, and right? And so, um, but actually what it was was a far ambush and the guys that opened up on us, opened up on us with a minimum of a PK and machine gun because that's the bullets I picked out of my vehicle. Um, seven six two by fifty four, and uh, but they and they were on the left side, so I'm thinking the the attacks coming from the right rear from the other car, but we're actually getting hit from probably around two o'clock uh, on the on my left side, and I, if I had to guess, I'd say the range was a hundred meters or something like that, and so I just you know I kept it in third I, third gear, I floored it and freaking and. By the time Jimmy could get on the radio and tell the lead car we've been made, we just made contact. I already went blowing by him, right? And they saw the windows and shit shot out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving my hair on fire. Holy shit! You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then they start, you know, they they start chasing us, and we we gobbled down the road, maybe another I don't know, um, another quarter mile or so, and then uh, I had to stop the car because I had flat tires and stuff. You know, the car was a wreck. And uh, so we pull over, and the area we pulled up now was kind of wooded again, kind of undulating terrain a little bit, and uh, I had to pull the car over. It's like we're not going nowhere, All right? And so I pull over. Well, earlier down the road, um, before we got into this mess, we had passed a an American patrol. It was two Humvees with an APC, M113 APC in the middle of it, right? Armed uh, personnel carry the old M1, uh, M113s. And, uh, and basically it was just a, just a small patrol. We had blown past them a while back. Anyways, we made contact, we're sitting there, and now there's a lot of cars starting to come along and they're slowing down and they're looking to see what's going on. And so it's, it's making it very hard for me to monitor and watch everybody because I don't know who's got a gun, you know, it's, it's starting to get really congested right there in the spot that we're in. We can't go anywhere. Um, and again, we're in between these uh, palm groves and uh, date palm groves. And uh, and so the decision was made. Let's change the wheels and let's try to salvage this vehicle and get the hell out of Dodge. And I remember looking at Jimmy going, Jimmy, the hell with that. Take the AT4 out and let's freaking blow this thing in place and all pile in your vehicle and get the shit get the hell out of here. No, no, no. We can, we can save this, you know. I fucked, man. And so, so here's, so lesson learned, right? And uh, so, my one of my jobs was, like for example, my vehicle is make sure that my vehicle was always combat ready. That meant, you know, it's got a full tank of gas, oil is good, everything. It's got all the maintenance it needs. Plus, you know, it's got a spare tire that might be important, right? It's got a lug wrench in it and a jack. You know, all those things because I change the tire, right? Well what I did not know, I didn't know, I checked all that shit. Was like, yep, yeah, got that, got that, got that, got that, good, got all that. What I didn't know was there on that particular vehicle, there was a um an adapter that goes between the lug wrench and the lug nuts. Now I don't know why the hell they came up with that, but it was like that big, just big enough to lose, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so and, and it wasn't there. And I didn't know that they had to have one of those, right? And so we get out there, and like, all right, jack it up, jack it up, you know, get the lug wrench out, And I was like, the lug wrench will fit. And yeah, because there's another piece that goes in between that. And <laughs> they're like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> 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 so so I'm, like, I'm like, as I blow it, get AT4, I just blow it up, man. Let's get out of here, man. I'm getting, like, really nervous now, yeah. right? So this was the first time I was ever really scared. In fact, okay. when I got hit, it really, I was, figuratively sleeping at the wheel for the first time ever i mean i was like cruising along the countryside you know 45 50 miles an hour enjoying the ride you know the machinery i was like my mind was in a different place yeah. and not where i needed to be right when it happened it caught me by total surprise and it freaked me out i was not ready for what i just reacted though i just got on the gas and freaking whole ass you know but it's um, the first time i've ever been scared ever been really, like, scared, like, oh, shit, that was close, man, because I literally had bullets going by my head through the glass, right, (laughs) PKM, and, uh, in fact, I sat my interpreter in the seat behind me when we got to the base, well, sure enough, if he was sitting behind me that day, he would have took one right through the melon, man, he was, it was perfect shot, right, um, through and through the car, and so, so all this kind of freaked me out already, and I'm still not quite, you know, I'm not normal yet, and, uh, and now they want to change tires and I'm like, man, there's more people coming. It's getting freaking spooky out here, you know? And so then I see I see the American patrol coming, right? The two uh, Humvees and the one one three. I go, thank God, right? They come out and flagged them down, I stop them and, and uh, there's a lieutenant in the in the vehicle. I said, Hey sir, I said, Listen, man, we just got we just got smacked back there. You can see, you know, um, we're gonna try to we're gonna try to salvage this vehicle and get it out of here. Would you mind? you know, pulling security for us helping us. Yeah. And so he did. You know, he put the Humvees on both ends, put, you know, uh, you know, position the m one three, you know, tactical overwatch, uh with the fifty cal on top of it, you know. So we had some coverage now, you know, we had some guys there, and he laughed, he goes, Yeah, we get here here every three days, about every two to three days we get we get ambushed, you know, ambush yeah. alley, yeah, like, no big deal. <laughs> <I'm> like great. <laughs> and oh <my> so, <laughs> yeah, he got he, he kinda like, yeah, no big deal, man. It happens to us all the time, you know and uh so you know we finally you know so what we ended up doing is getting uh we had a socket set man and we pulled it out with the you know ratchet and uh and basically used a socket set to break the lug nuts on the vehicles to change the tires and uh and that's what we did so we fixed it and uh we got our shit together got in the vehicle hauled ass went back home you know and then uh i remember so we had one of the unit commanders with us. We were co-located like with a unit, and, uh, and I won't mention his name either. He's a funny guy, though. And I came in, and I told him what just happened to us, and they were all laughing. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Ambush Alley. It happens all the time. <laughs> I'm like, man, you could have told us that before <laughs> we rolled out of here, because you knew where we were going, right? Yeah. Fella, to that part, right? So, um, so that was my little experience that day, man. You know, uh, two ambushes in one day, all you know, in search of... Uh, the golden, uh, the golden alternator, right? And so, you know, we put we, you know, I basically plucked out the 7.62 by 54, which is PKM machine gun. So they hit us with a PKM for sure. They, right, they, you know, they shot my car pretty good with it. And uh, thank god nobody got hit. Um, because I mean, literally, man, I mean, around like right, right behind my head, you know, I mean, they were close. My like, goddamn, I was so close at that time, but uh, you know. What it did is, it, it was a wake-up call, like, all right, Comstock, you know what, dude, just when you, just when you let your guard down is when shit always happens, man, and here we go, yeah. you know, was, was not ready for that, and uh, it really did, it really freaked me out, man, and, uh, but uh, I needed that, you know, to get back, uh, you know, get frost again, you know, and stay, you know, stable alert down the road, Yeah. Um,
0: that's, um that's kind of a weird it, there's like a weird philosophical aspect to that of like uh, man if you're just driving along and just took a bullet to the dome like you wouldn't even know it happened that's such like a weird no that's such a weird it, what would it you just not hear. what is it's just hard to wrap my head around it's like what is the ha- sound of one hand clapping it's like wait what the fuck
1: yeah that's weird if i would have i would have yeah. never I would have never known it I, if I had got hit in the head which he just missed me by a couple inches had I, you know if I hadn't come off the accelerator just a little bit he'd have got me right or wow. who knows man but um, yeah, I wouldn't have known it you're right it would have been all over just like that in a car and more than likely what would have happened that speed I'd have run off the road probably flipped the vehicle you know the other guy next to me probably would have been hurt or dead um, the other guy's trying to come back to, it would have turned into no shit of serious we we'll call a tick you know troops in contact um it would have been bad right like oh shit, who are you gonna call right there's we got a, we got three vehicles with the army that are gonna around the corner but that's it man it's not like there's a whole lot of us out there right so that could have got really crazy had that guy been you know the bad guy been lucky enough to you know to drill me in the head um the other vehicle is good you know is up armor g5 you know, unless they were shooting API armor-piercing rounds or, you know, armor-piercing scenario, he probably would have survived the hits. But he got us, man, thin-skinned, you know, freaking, you know, lit us up. Um, so Tikrit was pretty interesting, as was Solder City for me, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's really easy to get complacent when nothing happens to you. You know, I figured, you know, I had my ambush earlier today, I'm good. Damn, another one right yeah. on the way back you know so, yeah. <laughs> um, you just never know man and especially in Iraq man it was uh, it was a wild wild west it really was you just you just could not you know you could just not drop your guard but the reality is even in Afghanistan you can't drop your guard just when you think oh that's cool nobody's going to hit us out here boom IED ID goes off or something you know RPG goes skipping off the hood of your vehicle you know some weird shit happens you know um, so you know it's, a, it's another you know it's something that, uh, and I was going to tell you this earlier was, when I was talking about the PTSD. The problem is when you, when you experience all this, when you come home, it's hard for your family to understand that. It's hard to tell your wife what you've been, where you've been, what you've been doing. It's hard for just your non-military friends to understand it. It's hard to explain them, explain it to them, um, where they go oh yeah i I get it man kind of live in the moment with you know and even if they if they understand it they don't understand the other aspect of it uh the fear man you know the terror that goes along with that you know and uh they can only imagine it but uh when you've actually lived it you know and you see somebody else's head exploding next to you it's like wow you know that's kind of hard to that's kind of hard to simulate even in your mind right and so a lot of guys have trouble. And you know. And I'll share this again with everybody else out there. You know, I had a great marriage, man. I had a great marriage. Um, 12 years with, you know, not my last one, but the one prior to that. <laughs> um, and uh, and this woman I was married to for 12 years. And I couldn't have asked for a better, a better wife. Really couldn't have. But what I found, what happened was I spent a good nine and a half years of my marriage nine months out of the year deployed overseas in combat. And if I wasn't overseas in combat, I was stateside in some kind of other training environment or operational environment, right? So I was gone a lot. But uh, what was starting to happen was, um, and why did I do it, right? So my mom asked me one day, my mom's got a German accent, she's hardcore German. And uh, she always calls me Del Allen. Mm -hmm. Del Allen, why do you do this? Right? And, uh, (laughs) why do you do, yeah, why do you do this? You know, why do you have to go do this? You know, you have a wife and kids. And I remember telling my mom one day in front of my dad, I said, mom, I said, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Yeah.
0: It's
1: not like everybody's lining up to do this. Right. And so, and, uh, I said, I've got the skills, I've got the experience, I've got the guts to go do it. You know, I want to do this. And, uh, and, uh. I'm doing it for a purpose, man, you know? And I'm doing it for our country. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my friends. I'm doing it for the Patriots, you know? And uh, and so I remember she said that to me. And so I kept going down range and kept going down range. And what ends up happening is... It reminds me of the movie, uh, when uh, what was it, When We Were Soldiers mm-hmm. by with Mel Gibson, by Vietnam, remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they were spinning up to go over for their first deployment. And you got the helicopters, you know, and uh, he just couldn't get to wait to get over there, right? It's like this man just can't wait to get there, can't get, wait to get there. Well, it, that feeling's real, man. So for me, I couldn't wait to go back. Every time I would come home, it's like, man much more time I got yeah. home before I go back man I want to go back not because I didn't love my wife and my kids yeah not it's be, it's because you had to go back man and there's something about that experience you know the if it's the adrenaline rush I'm not sure what it is but you feel like you're in a different world you become a different person and you're around people like you and we're all making the same sacrifices for the same purposes and because of that there's this bond mm-hmm. that uh that you, you develop and you can't it's it's hard to explain yeah. man but every time i came back the more i was going over and i would come back the more i wanted to go right back yeah. and, uh, and I, I remember i started you know extending some of my deployments you know from 60 days to 90 days and i didn't care i'm like i'm good yeah, send me 120 days. I don't yeah. care. Right? I got to. That, I got into that mindset where it became an addiction, the adrenaline rush. Knowing that, man, this is going to be my last deployment, and many times it should have been. And I walked away from it and go. Okay, that was close, but here I am, yeah. right, killing it. And uh, but you never get it. You never, you know, you just seem to never get enough. Um, for some of us, you don't. Right. And it was not like we were being we were drafted and doing it. You know, it was voluntary. I volunteered to do this. I actually, volunteered even more because I was out of the service now. And I went back to the U.S. government and said, sign me up. I want to go in and do my part, man. And I'll do it in the most dangerous role possible. And I did. And so that actually killed my marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I had a great marriage that went south like really fast for, you know, weird shit happened. And I got to be honest with you, man. It was not, uh, I'm not going to blame my wife for nothing like that. It's me, you know? In fact, I got to the point where like, like I want to go back, man. I, I mean, how crazy is that when you're looking at your wife and your little girl and you want to go to combat yeah. and you don't want to stay home, right? And so that's the bizarro shit, man, that when you live with, and then you wonder if there's something wrong with you um you know so people talk about ptsd and i'm wondering if well maybe maybe i was crazy you know maybe i have some issues and that's why i kept going back you know it's like i keep you know keep tempting fate. but uh it ended up you know I, I lost my marriage over that and uh you know and i apologize a lot to my wife ex-wife for it you know it's um i can't undo it but it is what it is you know and uh,
0: I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's absurd to want to go back. I mean, I know it's a movie, but the movie Hurt Locker's, where the guys like the EOD specialist, and throughout yeah. the entire movie, it shows like a countdown of how many days till he gets to go home. And you think this, and he keeps having these near misses with death, and then he finally goes home, and you think it's like, oh, he's good. and it just shows him many he's at like the grocery store, he's like chopping peppers for dinner, and it's just kind of like the most boring thing. And, like, the end of the movie is him redeploying again, and he's got a big smile on his face. But it's – I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I've never seen combat, but I've thought about it. And I, at least in my – maybe I'm crazy, but I'm like, I see where it makes sense. And not even just with this episode you're talking about it. I've thought about it before. And I'm like, you know, why would you keep going back? And I'm like, man, there's got to be something about – in a world where everything's gray – like even money it like inflates it doesn't have the same value it's like is an election stolen you get banned on facebook and you go to the grocery store and it's just the next kind of just lukewarm shit meal after the next and it's just and then you go to combat where instead of this gray world of semi this and semi that you go to a world of absolutes i die or he dies No other option. And I'm with other guys on my side who are like, yo, they die or we die. And it's – there's no – it's not a referee. It's not a game where you blow the whistle and you undo that. It's like, man, that bullet missed my head by inches. It's a world – I've thought about that a lot. And I'm like, I get the – I get the attraction to it. It's a world – it's reality. It's, you know, you have yeah. to worry about, oh, I gotta make enough money on the podcast so I can pay rent, versus if you went and lived in the middle of the wilderness. There's no landlord. It's, am I gonna be able to build my hut? Am I gonna be able to kill a bear for food? Or is the bear gonna eat me? And am I ready for the winter? There's a piece in that world of absolutes, where it's not hey, you do this, and you get the new collared shirt. I'm sure it's addicting. You go there, and it's like, He dies or I die. We got to change this tire on this fucking, the golden alternate whatever. Fucking A. You know, they're opening up fire on us. They're shooting RPGs. I don't think it means you love your wife or daughter less. I think it means, I think the vast majority of men, if we could get a taste of it, we'd instantly go from like, that's dangerous to like, that was, that you know, it's like the movie Fight Club. All these guys, they work at Walmart, (laughs) but at night they beat the shit out of each other and they love it. I'm sure if yeah. I experienced it, I'm sure I would love it.
1: Yeah, you're right. You know, I remember, so when I was over there, so then when I'm there, it's um, just kind of put it in context, right? So normally it's just day-to-day, nothing's going on. Then you get an intel hit, something's, you know, you got a potential target or something to look into. And then you go out at night. It's always at night, right? Usually it was at night. This would happen during the day, um, this particular thing. Um, but normally it's, you know, they're nighttime operations. You go out at night, you do things, you come back, you go to sleep, you get up, you eat, you work out, you prepare for the next night's events, right? And, uh, but uh, the reality is sometimes after after a while of being downrange, you're like, man, I really miss, you know, going to the movies. I miss going, you know, whatever, a baseball game, you know, I miss going to watch my kids play sports going out dancing with my wife at the bar, you know, whatever, right? You, you think about all those things and then you come back and you can't wait to come back and do them all. And then when you do them, it's like, that was fucking boring, yeah. you know? Yeah, it just it just does not have the same effect anymore, man. And so when you start looking back at what used to excite you, no longer does, even because you realize that you've been in a place where there's more excitement, you get a bigger adrenaline rush, like downrange, then uh it's hard it's like a it's like a drug, man. Absolutely. It really is like a drug.
0: Absolutely. And
1: uh, you you want more of it, right? You want to get back into it. Knowing full will, man, you could overdose. You know? it yeah. This could be your last this could be your last trip, literally, you know? Yeah. And uh and you but you go back to the well and uh and so and you know what you don't ever lose that man. For at least I haven't, you know, I'm not again I can't speak for other guys out there, but for me personally um, I like this shit, you know, and, uh, I hate to say it, but it's not because I'm a bloodthirsty murderer killer guy. Um, I like fighting, whether it's with fisticuffs, you know, or whether it was a firearm, man, I like fighting. I was born to be a warrior. My dad was in the army for 20 years. I mean, my whole family is military oriented. It's just in my DNA and my blood. But uh, you know, and this we'll talk about this down the road. We talked about my mercenary work, but you know, my last last appointment was four years ago. I'm still out there freaking slinging lead at the bad guys. And uh, and truth be told, if I get a call today or nice, hey, we need you, you know, wherever some place on the planet needs uh, need some help, you know, Fuck and yeah. the money's good, I'll, I'll probably go, man, Fuck because yeah. you know it's 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 there, man. And my wife, that's her biggest fear, is that I'm gonna. I'm going to, because the last time I lied to her, um, but that's, I'll say that story, but I uh, told I was going to go do something else. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, man. But uh, so those are my experiences, you know, some of my experiences will be more, um, you know, to create Baghdad, you know, Iraq, um, you know, crazy place, dangerous place. Um, you know, the experiences. It can't explain it. That's the problem you have with telling your family. Nobody understands it, man. They really don't get their head around it. And so a lot of guys don't tell the story. That's why I wanted to go with this earlier. It was most guys won't tell the story. They don't want to talk about it because they know nobody understands. My my former father-in-law was a Green Beret in Vietnam, and uh, he did some really cool stuff. I'm the only guy who would talk about it to him about it with you know his wife didn't know his daughter didn't know nobody freaking knew and even i didn't know that much but i knew enough to know that yeah the guy's got a purple heart you know he's seen some shit you know and uh but he really didn't talk about it he didn't watch war movies he just kind of like separated himself from all that you know and he just and he knew there's nobody will understand and it's true nobody understands no my wife didn't my ex-wife didn't understand. So probably about four months ago, we had a conversation. And right? and we've been married, we've been divorced or separate divorced since uh God man, 14 years now. And uh I told her, I said, you know, I'm sorry for everything that happened. And, you know, I was in a weird place. I did some weird things. And uh I said, but the truth be told, I said, I told her what happened to me. You know, I said, that's what happened. It was nothing you did or didn't do, it was all me. And uh you know, I wrecked the perfect marriage after 12 years. Literally, I wrecked the perfect marriage for 12 years. Now, I'm married now, don't get me wrong. I have a great marriage again. This, this is going to be right up there with the, with the greats. But, uh, um, you know, not including this marriage here, that one was a really good marriage. And, I, and I, We had it all, and it was going like that, you know. And I can't explain it. I can't, you know, realizing at the time what was going on, I just could not, it's like a drug addict, man. I could not turn it off. I couldn't walk away. I couldn't put the crack pipe, uh, crack pipe down. Yeah, I had to go back to it, you know? And, uh, and it cost me a lot, man. And when people don't, you know, people don't believe that, but it's true. You know, maybe not for everybody. Maybe there's a lot of guys that don't want to be a part of that and want to walk away. But for guys like me, you know, in the unit, you know, some of the SEALs, Green Berets, Rangers that signed up for this shit it's because we were junkies for it, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, and there's a price that goes with that. Besides your life, you know, your your personal life, you can, all could be lost, you know, arms and legs and everything else, right? Yeah. So, um, anyways, um, yeah, I consider myself lucky, but uh, we'll, next time we talk, I got some other... <laughs> all right so next time we'll talk about the deer hunter which is my next chapter which Fuck is yeah. kind of funny Fuck yeah. um <laughs> I've,
0: told, I've told that story to my dad before from your
1: book
0: it's a great story
1: yeah you know the weird thing is and I, you know i don't know why but all this weird it's not weird but I, I find myself in all these unusual scenarios and situations just kind of stumble upon them it's like damn and uh And when you know, I think a lot of people can't believe they actually happened to me when I tell them the story. So sometimes I don't even like to talk about it. But uh, but this is all this actually all happened to me, and I don't have to embellish it. Uh, Everything I'm telling is the truth, and uh, it's not a matter of perception. It's like this is actually what happened, man. And uh, you know, and so it gets better as we go along here, man. Yeah, I, I, I like the deer the deer hunter story as well and uh, we don't have time to talk yeah, save, about it now but it for uh, we'll save it for, yeah. we'll save it for next time man so anyways that's uh, that's what I wanted to cover tonight in the book and uh, you know and uh, again for everybody that's listening out there you know I'm uh, it's actually one o'clock in the morning here in Bali Indonesia Monday morning and uh, I live here I also have a home in Florida I spend most of my time in Bali I have a security business here um i am now also well kind of the the proud owner of a fish farm catfish farm actually my wife my wife just started a fish farm right catfish (laughs) farm and uh that's her little project so but by proxy because i'm married to her, kind of makes me the catfish king too right
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think so i think on top of everything youngest ever delta force also uh, catfish king (laughs) update update the resume i
1: know right Anyway, I, I don't even want anything to do with that. I so, said, you know what? I got enough things on my plate. You, you deal with that, you know? So she's out there. Yeah, she's out there hoeing and digging the, not hoeing like hoeing, but, you know, the hoe digging the <laughs> digging the <laughs> yeah. soil up and laying it down and building the bricks up and building the pools and stuff. But uh, that's good for her, man. Uh, yeah. know. Yeah, so anyways, that's her deal. Fuck yeah all right man, well, man th-
0: th- thanks for uh thanks for opening up that was a that was a that was a a, a unique episode uh that kind of a glimpse into your mind and i'm i'm sure there are guys the vast majority of which are not like me but i'm sure there are some guys who have kind of you know operated at your level or close to it i would imagine and i can't speak for them i would imagine that they, they're, they're probably nodding their head and they're like yeah i mean it's i think it makes perfect sense i mean it's i think it makes perfect sense it's it's probably an adrenaline rush like nothing else how can anything compare to it and i think it makes sense and it's um yeah man i appreciate you being candid with yeah. me and um we'll pick it up next week so uh dale comstock author of american badass i'll put it in the description stick it in the top comment go buy it you assholes it's a great book and uh till next right. till next week dale All right, brother. Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. Take care, bro. Much love, brother. Be good. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.